Good morning, everyone. I'm Ken Johnson. I'm one of the elders here at Kerbal Bible Church, and it is my joy this morning to be standing here in front of you to bring God's Word to us. I want to read to you from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word, and we praise you that we live in a country where we have free access to it, and where we can gather together to study, to hear, and to profit from what you would have us learn. Lord, we are totally dependent on you. Please help me to speak faithfully and clearly. Please help my brothers and sisters to hear the message you have for them from this text. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, I started studying this, and imagine my joy when I discovered there are two, short, two sermons in these little short four verses. There are two sermons here, and I'm going to do the first one first. Makes sense. The first, one, the first one deals with the first four words, trust in the Lord. That's a sermon for anybody in this room who does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a short sermon, but it's full of truth. This message is directed to those who do not know Christ. What I would say is, life is hard. And sometimes, don't you just ask yourself, what is it all about? Is it really worth it? I mean, think about what this life entails. It entails disappointments and, dis- and discouragement. It, dis- it involves anger and, and loneliness and lost relationships and in despair and depression. I mean, just go on and on. How far does that list have to go? And if you don't know Christ, if you don't change something, you're just going to get more of that until you die. And then do you know what happens? Something quite awful. Forever. Forever. There's a better way. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible has created you for so much more than that existence. If you want to know God and find his purpose for your life, I encourage you to think about coming to him through the Son, through Jesus Christ. What I mean is, you need a Savior. What I mean is, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You see, all of us are sinners. Everybody in this room, everybody on this earth, we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. But God, but God, because of His great love for us, came to earth as a man. Jesus of Nazareth, fully man. And He came as God. Christ Messiah, fully God. He lived a perfect life. He died as a substitute on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he has risen again in victory over sin and death. He now has risen to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. He calls us to repent of our sins and to believe in him before he returns to judge the earth because at that time it's too late. If anyone here has not trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, let me say today that today can be the day of your salvation. After the service today, I plead with you, come and talk to me or talk to any of the deacons or elders or the pastors here at Kerrville Bible Church. Talk to someone about how you too can find Christ as your Savior. That's the first sermon. And I pray that it fell on fertile ears. The second sermon is for everybody. This second sermon is for everyone. There's our our 
are verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want to put the verses into context for you. And I'll tell you why I'm doing that. One of the reasons I chose this text was that I've seen this text be misunderstood and misused, and I'm sure you have too. Let me just give you three examples. I've seen this text used to tell us, trust God for all the great blessings He's going to give us. That completely misses the point of this this text. I've seen it sometimes used to say, hey, get ready because God's going to make life smooth and easy and simple for you. That's not the point of these verses. I've seen it used to say, well, look, don't, don't so much get caught up in how wise you are. But be a little bit humble here. That's way short of the mark. Solomon is the one who wrote these words. He's the wisest man that ever lived, right? Wisest man that ever lived. In fact, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, Solomon wrote about wisdom, the folly of being a fool, of of not believing in God. But he wrote the first nine chapters to his son. You remember that? He wrote it to his son. Think about this for a minute. There's nine chapters of God's inspired word written to one audience of one, one person. But think how it's been used. Over almost 3,000 years, these verses, these nine chapters of Proverbs, have been of inestimable value to millions of people, to millions of people. These chapters are focused on wisdom. And our, our verses is right in the middle of this chapter, Right? What Solomon taught us about wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He taught that in two places, chapter 1-7 and chapter 9-10. What is the fear of the Lord? Okay. Well, Wayne Grudem gave a, a, what I thought was a great description of it. He said this, and I'll, I'm going to have to read it. And if we fear, oh no, if we fear dishonoring or displeasing God, and if we fear His fatherly discipline in our lives, then we will have the motivation to make us want to follow His ways and to live according to His wise commands. That's the fear of the Lord. Now think about what Solomon was doing as he wrote these verses, these whole chapters, but in particular our verses today. Think about what Solomon was doing. His purpose in writing these verses was to expose his son to the benefits of wisdom by drawing him closer to the Lord and increasing his fear of the Lord so that his wisdom grew. Do you follow what I just did? Draw him closer to the Lord so his fear of the Lord increases so that his wisdom grows. Do you see? Okay, that's what we need to keep in mind. What we're going to study today are verses that are designed to help us draw closer to the Lord, increase in the fear of the Lord, and increase in wisdom. Okay, that's how we can grow in wisdom as well. Now, the verse itself, the text itself... Think about it this way. Verse 5, trust in the Lord and lead not on your own understanding. That turns out to be a command. Verse 6, the first half, lean, uh, 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 in all your ways acknowledge him. That's another command. The second half of verse 6 is the promise. It's the reward for those who keep these commands. Simple structure, and that's how we're going to study these verses. So if you're ready, let's look at this. Verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. I'm going to get to uh, with all your heart in just one second. Trust in the Lord and do not lean lean on your own understanding. That is one command, but it has two parts, doesn't it? It has a positive part, trust in the Lord. And it has a negative part, do not lean on your own understanding. But you see how they go together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust in the Lord and not lean on your own understanding. It's one command with two parts. 
Okay? Why should a person obey this command? And I'll tell you, as I was preparing this, I started working on that. I wanted, I wanted to so convict you on why everybody should follow that command. I had five or six pages of notes. Laney can attest. I had sticky notes and papers everywhere. And it finally occurred to me, I'm just spinning my wheels here. It is obvious why you should obey that command. And I'll give you three quick reasons, three simple reasons, and they're true. Why should you trust in the Lord and not lean on your own understanding? Because the Lord is superior to us in every way imaginable. He is omniscient, omnipotent, all-wise, unchangeable, loving, faithful, and he has given us a remarkable promise in Romans 8, 28, hasn't he? And all of those attributes of God feed to that promise. His judgments are perfect. Okay, second reason. Our understanding is infinitely inferior. We are, among other things, corrupted by sin, unfaithful, ignorant, weak, and liars. Our judgments have proven to be unreliable. So the third reason you should follow this first command is sanity demands it. It, Honestly, it would be insane for us to purposely take Ken Johnson's judgment over God's. It would be insane, wouldn't it? And you could put your name in here, too. It doesn't have to just be me. So, first command, really, isn't it kind of a no-brainer? Okay, we're going to talk more about that later. Now, there's a modifier to this trust in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I wanted to pull that apart because I wanted to focus on it for a minute. This trust in the Lord with all your heart. When you're reading the Bible and you see the word all, that's an important word in the Bible, always, isn't it? It's an important word in the Bible, and here's why. Because all never means some. It means all your heart. And remember what the heart is. Now, this is very important in Jewish literature, isn't it? What is the heart? The heart is like the central, the control panel of the, uh, of the man. It's intellect, emotion, and will. It's everything that makes a man a man. It's what, it's what controls thoughts, deeds, and actions. It's your heart. Everything is in the heart. It is the control center, okay? So this command, with all your heart, means simply this. You are to devote devote 100% of your being, your intellect, emotion, and will, 100%, 100% of the time, to trusting the Lord, no exceptions. That's it. No exceptions. You're to trust the Lord 100% of the time with all your being, no exceptions. So... Yes, it's a no-brainer to see that God is superior to man and that we're inferior and that we're to trust and we're not to lean and, and that with all of our heart is, tells us how much we're to trust. But how does this work? Don't you see so many times in the Bible that you'll get a command, but you, you say to yourself, how do I do that? What does it look like? How does it, well, let's talk about that. What, what do trust and do not lean and everything, how do they work in real life? First, let's, let's focus on trust in the Lord. When we talk about trust in the Lord, we're not talking about trusting in some idea of the Lord, some picture I have of the Lord in my mind, some uh, thing I've constructed about what the Lord is. We're talking about the Lord of the Bible. We're talking about the way God is, or the Lord of God is revealed to us in the Bible, His will, His ways, His commands. We're talking about the Lord of the Bible. Trust the Lord of the Bible. Why the Bible is sufficient. Am I right? The Bible is sufficient. It gives us everything we need for our faith 
and our practice. Everybody know that, that phrase? Our faith and our practice. Everything we need. And the Bible, if we're having any trouble, the Bible is illuminated for us by the Holy Spirit working in our, in our hearts, right? So we are trusting in the Lord of the Bible. So if you want to trust the Lord more, if you want to trust the Lord with all your heart, what do you do? There are two things. You must accept that the Bible is the word of truth. You must accept every word in that Bible is truth. Can you understand, if you didn't trust one word in the Bible, you couldn't trust God with all your heart? Do you see how that's true? Because if I don't trust this word, how do I know tomorrow not to trust this one and this one? You've heard of the slippery slope. In order for you to trust the Lord with all your heart, you must accept the Bible is God's word and it is truth. Okay? And the second thing you must do is study the word. You must study the Word. Do you want to trust God more than you do now? Pick up your Bible. Get in your Bible. If you you are talking with your friends, talk about the Bible. If you come into church, pay attention to what Chris is preaching up here. Get in the Bible. Every time you're in the Bible, every time you're talking about the Bible, every time you're listening to a sermon or whatever, you are learning more about who God is. And that helps you trust because you're drawing closer to Him, right? So... To trust in Him more, you must accept the Bible is true. Every single word. And you must study it diligently. Now, there's the other side. Because we said, okay, how do you trust the Lord? But how do you not lean on your own understanding? I want you to be clear on this. There's nothing wrong with understanding. We're in a process from the day we were saved, we were justified. We are headed toward glorification, aren't we? But that process is called sanctification. And sanctification is a process of understanding of increasing in understanding and wisdom, isn't it? No, the Bible has... Just go Google. Verses about understanding. There's dozens of them. The Bible is full of verses about getting understanding. There's nothing wrong when it says, do not lean on your own understanding. There's nothing wrong with that word understanding. It's your own that's the problem. And here's what I mean by that. When your understanding, your thoughts, your wishes, your dreams, your plans, when they are in conflict with the Word of God... The Word of God must triumph. That's what this verse is about. Anytime you think that you have a better idea than the Bible or something that's more correct than the Bible or something that is okay even though the Bible tells me not to do it, you're wrong. Stop it. The Word of God controls. Do not lean on your own understanding means the Word of God controls. It's that simple. Okay? I want to give you a couple of thoughts about trusting because I call this whole thing Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Step away, and I call that trusting completely. That's totally, totally trusting, right? I want to give you a couple of pictures of trusting completely. Simple one is Abraham and Isaac, isn't it? I can assure you, you know, anybody who's been a father can assure you, as Abraham is marching with Isaac up that mountain, his soul is screaming, No, I don't want to do this. No. His understanding is, Flee. You know, run from God, disobey God, preserve my son. But he didn't. He trusted completely, didn't he? And look at the nations that have been blessed because of that. Okay, here's another great story. This one takes a little bit longer. How many of you all know the name George Mueller? George Mueller. Do you know the name George Mueller? He was a German pastor who had come to uh, England as a young man, lived in, the, in England in the 1800s. And he, what he did is build orphanages. He built orphanages. 
in his time, he spent almost 40 years building this, basically this enterprise. He cared for 10,024 orphans. So not only was he an orphan, you know, good at keeping care of orphans, but he was very Germanic in his record keeping. He knew it was exactly 10,024. And he established 117 Christian schools that educated more than 120,000 children. Think of that. Think of that. Amazingly, he built this enterprise, and he never, never, ever made a request for financial support from anyone, and he never went into debt. He completely relied on prayer and Almighty God to support him. Many times food or supplies or money came at the last minute, but God always provided always provided, without George telling anyone about his needs. He just prayed and waited on God. Now, here's a story that illustrates how that faith worked. This is a quote from his, here, The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage told George. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food, which wasn't there, and waited. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I just couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it up. Almost immediately, there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George just smiled as the milkman brought it in. Ten large cans of milk, just enough to feed or to, to, yeah, to feed 300 thirsty children. Now, Mueller wrote the reason he resolved when he started this ministry never to ask for money was he wanted the natural eye of men to see that God really could be trusted to meet the needs of his children. This is the kind of trust the Lord asks from, uh, from us. Now, don't get me wrong. Mueller didn't sit idly by just waiting for God to do things. No, he worked himself to, to the bone, building and organizing and getting kids in and teaching kids and whatever. He worked very hard to do everything he could do for his orphanages and his schools, okay, to the best of his ability with the resources God had given him, okay? But over 40 years, he completed, uh, or he uh, uh, trusted completely in the Lord to provide what he needed. May that story be an inspiration to every one of us. Okay, so verse 5 is one command. Let's just do a little quick summary. Trust and do not lean. God's will is that Christians trust the Lord completely and never place their own understanding above God's wisdom. We agree? Okay. Why? Because it honestly would be insanity to trust our judgment above God's. Why? Because God loves us, and trusting Him instead of ourselves is for our good, right? Romans 8, 28, everything God does is for our good. He wants us to trust Him instead of us for our good. Okay, now to verse 6a. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. The second command. I just love this. In all your ways, there's all again, right? In all your ways, all. That's very important because of knowing what your ways mean. You've, you've seen that in the Bible and in other places. It's... Uh, it's refer referring to everything in your life 
Every part of your life, spiritual and physical, waking or sleeping, insignificant or vitally important, it's absolutely everything that's involved in your journey through your life, in all your ways. Do you see the picture? It's everything. And what he wants you to know with acknowledge is this. Incidentally, some of you are going to have uh, uh, Bibles that translate that word acknowledge differently, and I'll talk about that in a second. Acknowledge can be translated in the sense of recognizing and giving credit, right? Lord, for everything in my life, I know you did it, and I give you credit for it. That's, the, that's what this really is. That's what it really is. I'm not going to boast about anything in my life because God did it all, didn't he? For from him and through him and to him are all things, correct? God did it all. Everything I have, from the breath I took a minute ago to the breath I'm going to take here shortly, came from him. Every molecule in this body, everything is from him. I can boast in nothing, okay? So, what, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to not boast in myself, but boast in him. And I'm supposed to be conscious about giving him glory for everything when I get the chance. That's what, in all your ways, acknowledge him means. Do you see that? I, just, I don't boast in him. I mean, I don't boast in myself. I boast in him and give him credit. But what's in it, there's a, there's, a, there's a little element here that makes this even richer, I think. The word that's actually here for acknowledge is the word in Hebrew that is most often translated as to know, to know. It's the word that is used over and over again in the Bible in situations like Abraham knew Sarah. It is a word of intimate knowing, unfettered, unrestricted. It is God is telling us, I, I know everything about you. You see? This is, this is a call for an intimate relationship with God. This is not a, gee, God's great and he's way over there and he's done these things for me. No, this is intimate. This is intimate. Do you see this, what I'm trying to say? This adds a deeper, richer meaning, I think, beyond just acknowledging that God is working in us. God, I think, is actually trying in so many ways. But here's another example. He's trying to draw us into a closer relationship with him. It's as if he's saying, I want you to personally and intimately know that I'm completely involved in your entire life, from the smallest to the largest. You see? it is. Think how much richer it is. It's not that he knows us like a prison warden says you can go here and here and here. No, it's that he knows us like he's cuddling us, like he's holding us tight, like he's like he's. What comes through in the in the two different translations to me is is how much he cares. Do you see this? So, verse six a. This command says it's God's will to be involved in every aspect in your life. It is His will, isn't it? And it is His practice too. It's God's will that we never boast or take credit about anything in our lives because we should give all credit to Him, shouldn't we? Everything belongs to Him. But I think the thing to take away from this verse is how comforted we are in knowing that God is not only at work in us, but that He knows us in such a close and intimate way. That gives me comfort, and I hope it gives you comfort. Now we get to the promise, the reward, you see. Verse 6b, He will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. Well, it is a reward, and it's a promise. He promises to give a reward to who? Only those people who keep those two commands. Okay? There are a lot of wonderful Christians alive and moving and doing great service and everything. 
They do not trust the Lord with all their heart, and they do not acknowledge him in all their ways. They do not get this promise. Okay? We'll talk about this in much more detail. This does not apply to unbelievers. It does not apply to Christians who do not trust and acknowledge. But the, but the verse does say he, he will. He will make your path straight. That means there's no room for doubt. If you trust the Lord with all your heart and you lean not on your understanding and you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will make your path straight. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to do anything else. He will make your path straight. Okay? Paths straight. This is, this is where I think the, the, some of the problem with the translation of this verse comes. I think to, to, to figure out what paths straight means, I think first let's talk about the destination. God promises to give clear direction to those who trust him completely. I, I, I went and looked this up and I found five and then stopped, but I found five different places in Scripture where God promises to give us guidance. And if you want to write these down, you're welcome to, but God will get, guide us into pleasant paths in Psalm 23. He will guide us in making decisions in Psalm 25. He will guide us to the end of life in Psalm 48. He will guide us by wise counsel in Psalm 73. And he will guide us into understanding the truth in Psalm 143. Those are five very important things he's guiding us in, isn't it? Those are all in the straight path. The paths in every Christian's life, whether they're under this promise or not, lead to God's chosen destination. Ultimately, everything we're doing in life is going to one destination. You know what that is. That is our glorification. God is taking every Christian to his glorification through a process called sanctification, right? He's taking us to our glorification, every one of us. That's where we're going, okay? This is where God is moving the lives of every Christian. Let me, let me tell you something. Take Proverbs 16, 9. Man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. Make no mistake. It is God who is directing the steps from here to there. All right? Now keep that picture in mind. That, point A, point B, the, the distance between there is our sanctification path, if you will. Okay? In this life, all Christians will have tribulations in there, won't we? We know that for sure. Why do we have tribulations? Well, Christ promised we'll have, in this life you'll have tribulations. But what, what is he doing with them? He's conforming us to the image of Christ, right? He's conforming us to the image of Christ. Look at Romans 8, 29. Those he predestined, he is conforming to the image of Christ. Do you remember that? That's what he's doing. With, that's what sanctification is all about. We have been justified. We've been forensically declared not guilty. Now we're growing in the image of Christ, and then we're going to be glorified. So everything we're talking about with paths is that path. All right? There's a straight path. We know that because this verse tells us there's a straight path. And there's a not straight path. You see, it's just the contrast. What else is out there? If it's, if it's not straight, it's not straight. That's it. So the default path for every Christian, the day you're justified, is not straight. Just say it plainly. That's how all of us are going to get to glorification when we're justified. It's going to be not straight. For people who keep these two commands, he will make the path straight. Okay, so if you just... I, I really was going to use slides, and then I thought, I, I just don't know how to, to read them and everything, but if you just picture a, a straight line. Okay, here's a straight line. That's what we want to be on, right? What is the, what is the, the smoothest, cleanest way to get to glory? Is a straight line. 
That's not what happens. Okay? We, we, we're justified, and the first thing the Lord wants to do is get rid of our pride. And he may have to take us over here and down here and up here and over here and over here and maybe even back here to, to work trials and work uh, influences in our life to purge us of that pride or whatever it is. Do you see what I'm saying? Are y'all following where I'm going with this? Okay. Okay. So, to purge our sins and disobedience and, and to move us closer to the image of Christ, God uses disciplines, trials, tribulations, afflictions, whatever. Okay? The more stubborn the heart... You look, you can be a Christian and have a very stubborn heart. You can have a... I, I, I'm, I'm walking testimony to that. The more stubborn the heart... Perhaps, God didn't tell me this in his Bible, but it makes sense to me. Don't lean on your own understanding, Ken. Um, that, the, that it requires more extreme measures. Okay? It's, it's, so there's more trials, more tribulations, or whatever. Consequently, the path for all Christians as they're being conformed to Christ can be quite torturous, rocky, rough, whatever, however you want to describe it. Okay? So what are the blessings of the straight path then? Why, why do we want to be on a straight path? Why do we want to be on a straight path? The Lord will, as blessings to the trusting and the obedient, make their paths straight. doesn't mean at all that there will not be difficulties. If I, let's say I'm on the straight path today. There is still so much work for the Lord to do to me to conform me to the image of Christ. I can't describe it to you. Okay? But there's something important that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. There are three, what I would say, magnificent blessings to being on the straight path. And let me tell you what they are. The first one is the straight path itself. As opposed to a circuitous, difficult, rough trip that prideful, arrogant, uh, you know, uh, stubborn Christians have to endure, the one, the one who trusts completely doesn't have to have those sins dealt with any longer. Can you realize, if you trust the Lord with all your heart, you're not a stubborn Christian anymore. You're not an arrogant Christian anymore. Those things are behind you. So he doesn't have to deal with the really, the, the very difficult, the, the, the most stubborn sins. Even though the trials may be difficult, you can know that every one of your trials, if you're on the straight path, is still leading you straight to glorification. You see what I just did? It's not leading me over here. It's not leading me over here. It's leading me straight to glorification. Do you see this? The shortest distance between two points is that straight line, isn't it? The second blessing is that if you are on the straight path, watch this. You're walking in God's will. How many times do the people in this room pray, Lord, show me your will. If I only knew what your will for my life was, I need to know what your will is. If you are on the straight path, you are walking in His will. And here's how you know this. Because by trusting Him, you already are in His will. You have done exactly... Right here He told you what my will is. Trust with all your heart and lean not on your understanding and acknowledge me in all your ways. You're in His will. But watch what He tells you. He tells you that He will be guiding you on that path to make sure, Proverbs 4.27, that you do not turn to the right or to the left. He will keep you on that path. He will keep you in His will. What a blessing that is to know that you're living in His will. Do you see what I'm saying? One of God's wills, incidentally, one of the things that He wills is Proverbs 6 and 7. Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 6 and 7. Uh, chapter 4, 6 and 7. It's God's will that you be anxious for nothing. 
It's God's will that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's God's will for you. You are walking in God's will. The third blessing of being on the straight path is that it means that you will, you will benefit from the perfect means for every trial you ever have. Okay, let me show you what I'm saying on that. Yes, being on the straight path, you're still having trials to deal with. <clears throat> but you can know this if you're on the straight path with the Lord. I'm going to start with the doctrine of God's wisdom. And I'm going to credit the KBC School of Theology on Tuesday nights and our leader for this one. What, it, what the, the doctrine of God's wisdom says is that God in his wisdom chooses the perfect means. He chooses the perfect goals, which is glorification, and he chooses the perfect means to get there. Okay? If you are in his will and if you are on the straight path, what that's going to tell you is that God's choice for disciplining you or giving you a trial or whatever is going to be the most efficient, most effective method possible. Anything else he would choose to discipline you with is going to be less efficient, less effective, more difficult. Do you see what I'm saying? What, what, I'm, what I'm saying, and this to me is huge, and I hope it is to you, every trial in your life at that point would be you know it's for your good and you know it has perfect eternal purpose. It is not, oh gosh, we have to take uh, you know, Ken back over this way to, get, take, to beat the pride out of him again. We're, we're through with that. We've got the perfect means to get me on that straight line. So every trial that you would face in this life brings you closer to glorification. You can and will consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. This should be amazing comfort to you. So, verse 6, the promise, what is it telling us? The promise is given only to those who fulfill the two commands. And the promise gives us three blessings. The that We have the straight path as opposed to the circuitous path. We're walking in God's will instead of all the time trying to scramble around and find it so that we can enjoy the peace that, that walking in His will can deliver. And we have the perfect means for every trial that we'll ever face, you see, so that we are moving closer in a straight line to glorification. Okay, here's my question. If trusting completely in the Lord is so much obviously better for us, and if intimately knowing and acknowledging God's involvement in every aspect of our lives is so comforting, and if the promise delivers these wonderful blessings to us, why in the world do so many Christians resist trusting in the Lord with all their heart? Why in the world do so many Christians insist on leaning on their own understanding? Okay, uh, my hope is that at this moment you're saying, oh man, that's me. Because I don't trust the Lord with all my heart. I do lean on my understanding. I know I do. I know I do. And I pray that you guys are, are honest enough to know that you do too. Because we all do. And here are some reasons for it. I don't have them all. I don't have them all. But this is what I want you to be praying for, is search your heart and see why you resist giving it all to the Lord and putting yourself into becoming nothing, becoming nothing. Here's a list that I know are out there. The first is that, that you don't know Him. See, if you don't know the Lord well enough, you can't trust Him. 
if you don't know him well enough. So, but that could be easily cured. We've talked about that. You spend more time in the Bible, more time in study, more time in meditation. But I do think that's an important reason for a lot of Christians. New Christians have a hard time with that. The other thing is many people just don't understand what trust the Lord means. Many people tend to view this, and I've, I've seen this come up time and time again in discussions, in counseling sessions and whatever. Well, I trust the Lord for these things, but, but I don't trust him for those things, as if those were equivalent. No, this is being in God's will, and this is a sin. But we, this is what we do. Something, yes, oh, I, most of the time I trust the Lord just wonderfully. Many times I don't. Okay? They do not understand this part of it as a sin of disobedience. But the real one that I think is, is, uh, uh, is at work here, the, the most prevalent one, is whatever words you want to call it, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, pride, whatever it is. We just hate to let go of what a wonderful person we are. We just think we're so wonderful. We just think... The human condition, we were born with this condition to elevate ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves. And it's such a hard habit to break. Such a hard habit to break. And our culture raises us to be self-reliant. Our culture just insists on it. Uh, there, there was a guy, you remember this guy, I think it was Thoreau. Could have been Emerson, but I think it was Thoreau. And he, he made a career out of writing about self-reliance. And he, his point was... If you're not self-reliant, you can't possibly be happy. And I have to tell you, there could be no, nothing a man ever has said further from the truth. Self-reliance drives you to misery. So many have been raised, though. It's, it's the American way. You know, we're the self-made man. We, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Men in particular, wouldn't you agree with this? We're just wired to fix things without asking for any help. That's what we do. That's what men do. So... The self-reliant, what really goes on with the self-reliant? You want to be important. And another thing is you don't want to lose control. You want to be in control. You want to know what's happening. You want to, you want to have your hands in there and you want to know that, that, uh, that you can control things. Friends, you can't control anything. You can't, you can't even control your own emotions. You certainly can't control what I do. We're kidding ourselves. The Bible is so clear on this. Self-reliance or pride or whatever you want to call it, is just flat out a sin. It's just a sin. Listen to this. Being reliant on self is necessarily being in rebellion against God. It's a contest between us and God. Who's in control? If I'm in control of my life, I am in rebellion against God. Mark Dever, many of you know Mark Dever. I read this quote from him. He said, we are reliant on ourselves, which means we're reliant, we're we're defiant to God. And that is the essence of sin, doing what we want rather than what God wants, rather than what God wants. It it is, I I can't stand here and give you the prescription. The prescription is in your heart. Each one of us knows where we are on this this scale of being self-reliant, of being prideful, of being self-sufficient. We know where we are. What we need to do is purge that from us, purge that from us. All right, let me wrap this up. Do you first, I just do this like a little pop quiz. Do you have a better understanding now of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, do you think? Do you understand the reasons and benefits of trusting and acknowledging? And do you understand the blessings of the straight paths, getting on that straight path with the Lord? 
For those of you who can answer yes to this one, I want to talk to you afterwards because I, I want to learn from you. Can you say that you fulfill these two commands? Can you say that you fulfill these two commands and that you are clearly on the straight path with God? Because it's possible. He doesn't give us these commands if they're not possible. He will empower us. <clears throat> so if you, can, if you can't say you're there yet, is it your desire to get there? Is it your desire to get there? Do I want to be so deeply in God's Word and so purged of my pride that uh, I can be on the straight path with God? Because you can get there. You can get there. If you want to talk about it, I love to to talk about this stuff with anybody, uh, about how we can, uh, as a a group, as Kerrville Bible, how we can revival, do a revival of purging our self-confidence, our self-assurance, getting rid of it and putting ourselves in the hands of God. Chris told me the other day he was listening, I think he, I don't remember when it was, but he was listening to Max McLean read uh, Charles, I mean, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, if any of you all have ever read it or listened to it. And he said, get the Max McLean. I guess you can get it on, out on YouTube or something, but go listen to it. He said, it'll absolutely just scare the pants off of you because it, it shows the evils of, of what our pride is doing to us. So... Anyway, we can get there, brothers and sisters. It's a battle for me. I know it's a battle for many of you, but at least we now are aware of it. And let's try to do what we can to to purge ourselves of this sin of pride. Would you just pray with me? Father, Father, Sovereign Father, Holy Father, I pray that we may come to trust you with all our hearts rather than leaning on our understanding. May we faithfully acknowledge your intimate and beneficial involvement in every aspect of our lives and give you all the glory. Lord, we desire to be worthy of those straight paths. We ask you to give us wisdom and guidance to get us there. Please, Lord, help us to defeat any pride or self-reliance which may be holding back our sanctification. In Christ we pray. Amen.